Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Sarah Bladel, best-selling writer and author of the new novel, A Harmless Lie, the latest novel featuring her character, Detective Louise Rick. Bladel's novels are published in 38 countries. In 2014, Sarah was voted Denmark's most popular novelist for the fifth time, and she is also the recipient of the Golden Laurel. Denmark's Most Prestigious Literary Award. Best-selling author A.J. Finn wrote about Bladel's, Sarah Bladel writes novels as twisty as spirals and electric with intelligence. Her sophisticated mysteries hum with warmth and life and double as inquiries into social and justice systems rigged against those who heartbreakingly need them most. Her detective, Louise Rick, is one of the most appealing, most layered, and most compelling heroes to stride onto a crime scene in at least 50 years. And in A Harmless Lie, an ideal point of entry for new readers, Bladel has devised a labyrinth of a mystery for her, dense and dangerous. Come get lost in it. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so very much. What a wonderful introduction. Thank you. (laughs) Sure, absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, A Harmless Lie, how would you describe the novel? Actually, it's the first novel in the Louise Rigg series where I bring Louise Rigg into the story as a private person. She is not investigating anything professional. Uh, I have in my earlier books, and I just want to say that A Harmless Lie is a perfect place a perfect book to start with if you do not know my earlier books about her because it's a it's kind of a new beginning uh, I've sent her out on a long vacation before you will meet her in a harmless life so when she's coming back she's just a private person dragged into the story because her brother and her sister-in-law is involved in uh, in this case uh, so for the first time I want to point my eye on or put my eye on Louise as a as a private just like me and friends or you and your friends could end up in a situation that involves the police sure and do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write a harmless lie yes because actually it's a, it's a story in one of my previous book uh, the stolen angel um there is a character called Mona, and she, she uh, suddenly she was there in that previous book, and I was so curious about it. It's not very easy. It's not very common for me that characters just show up. I mean, normally I create them. I spend a lot of time uh, giving giving them a character. Th- I, I mean, giving them a voice. I know much more about my characters in in my books than ever get into the book. I mean, Mm -hmm. the background stories is so important for me because I want to know them to know how they will react in specific situation. But Mona, she showed up out of the blue, almost not totally, (laughs) but almost out of the blue. And I was curious about it because she is, she is vulnerable in, in a, in a manner where, where, when people went missing, you know, when, when newspapers or or television tells about people who went missing, then she 
she react very sensible. She is very sensitive to these kind of story, and it makes me think: Why? What? What is the trauma be behind Mona's story? And I start researching um, with talking talking to a woman who, who is leading um, uh, uh, leading uh, a part of the. A hospital for mental illness here in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. or outside, right outside Copenhagen. And I asked her, "Is it possible that people who have uh, something in the background, a, a trauma from the childhood or from the early uh, teenage life, that can be a part of the 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 way that they react on things?" And she just looked at me and said, "Oh yes, it happens all the time." And I wanted to know what happened to Mona. And when it happened, so I start creating her story. It sounds weird, I know that because I am the writer, I am the author, I am the one who decides what's in the character. But sometimes it happens when I write. It happens that people are just showing up, and then I have to afterward find out what is the background story. And for Mona, I created a story about her going on a school trip to Bornholm. In Denmark, it's very common. Almost everyone is doing it in in school. When you are around thirteen, you will uh, you will go on these trips with your school class, and uh, very often these trips go to Bornholm, which is a small island uh, between Denmark and Sweden, closer to to Sweden than than Denmark, and they will spend a week there. And uh, when Mona went there as a teenager, one of the girls from her school class disappeared out of the blue, and I mean. It's not like they found the body afterwards. It's not like they know that if she was kidnapped or if she decided to disappear. But where uh, where you will meet uh, the story in The Harmless Lie, the body of Susan shows up so many years later. And it tricked a lot of things that went on with Mona and her friends back then. So I was so curious. The first thought was, It has to be something about the school trip to Bornholm. And then uh, the story is set in the area where I grew up and where I long ago put Louise Rigg and Camilla Lind, another strong character in my books. So it is very much based on my own memories of being a teenager and based on my own school trip. Of course, not all of it. Thank God for that. But, uh, <laughs> but some of it is. Sure. Well, you mentioned how Mona just showed up as a character on the page. Uh, I'm curious about, and you, and you talked about how you you normally know the background of your characters more so than shows up in the actual novel. Uh, I'm wondering what is your writing process when you're when you're thinking about and planning a new novel. Are you someone who does a lot of extensive outline of the plot and the characters? How does that work for you? I'm I, I'm absolutely one of them, and I know it's it's always a very interesting uh, discussion. Are you one who's doing a plot line or not? <laughs> I'm the I'm the one who is doing it. I would be scared to death if I was sitting just with blank paper. And I really enjoy plotting out the book because when I start having the first slightly idea idea of what it what could be in the story, um, there will be a long uh, period where I where I'm frustrated because I cannot put it together and I cannot see how I should turn the twist and plot and and all these things around. So I I enjoy putting, I have 
something called I call my plot cards. It's a uh, it's colored uh, paper paper uh, pieces, and then uh, Louise Rick. She has one color. Camilla Lynn has another color, and the police investigation has a third color. And you know, so so it look it looks like my dining table looks like a puzzle <laughs> when I start plotting up and say, okay, here one is dying, and what is it? We're calling the police. What is happening? And I'm I really enjoy the part where I'm plotting the book, but when I I didn't do that to begin with with my first books, I didn't do it, and. I was also afraid, and I'm still very aware of this, because I was also afraid that plotting out too much could kill the whole story. I mean, if I knew every detail, I will just be a machine writing it down. And that is not fun for mm -hmm. me. Uh, so I was very aware that oh, it's a balance, I think, being being uh, aware of what, what do you want in the story and how many details do I want in the story? But you know what? I I find out that even that I plotted very carefully and specific also in details, the more it seems like, like my imagination is taking off, I think it's because I feel secure that I can land this story. I can go from A to B and I can actually do it. So it's like I'm... Everything in between A and B can happen. Even that I know, it's like the more that I feel that I can, that I have my hands on the story, the more my imagination and the whole story is taking off. And that is so much fun. That's great. Well, I'm curious about your initial writing journey. What led you to write and get your first novel published? It's a very good question because... I've never been planning on being a writer. I mean, it was never in the card. I uh, I have dyslexia. So as a child, uh, it wasn't that fun to write. Reading has been my thing um, because I start reading mysteries for children. Uh, my parents reads was reading out loud mysteries for children for me. And I think it was so clever of them. I didn't think about it back then, but I know it now. It was their way to to teach me to become a reader, to in, to teach me the joy of being a reader and being in a story. So when I was reading, even that I was a slow reader, I was reading these mysteries for children. I could see myself in the story. It was it was a space where I could walk in and be one of them, and. Uh, the thing about mysteries and crime fiction is that the plot is the motor. So even if it's hard for you to read, it's you have to continue because you have to find <laughs> out what will happen. So I feel that uh, Mysteries for Children is great if you're struggling with reading. Uh, but then it happened that a story, I was working as a journalist for many years and uh, I have, you know, all about deadlines and and the stress <laughs> that can up when you when you have a deadline, and I've I I found that I had a space in my head where I could tell myself a story again, like being a reader. I could walk into that space and create my own story and start telling myself a story. And I did that for four or five months, I think, until I realized that I have to put it down on paper because Louise Rick was so clear to me and the whole situation was very 
clear to me. So for my head not uh, for uh, avoid that my head was exploding, I had to put it on paper, and that was actually my first research novel. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly two million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. That's great. Well, how much research do you do about crime and forensics and criminals when you're working or thinking about a novel? I do a lot of research and I take a lot of time out of my of uh, in, of my calendar to do research. And that is for two reasons. One of them is that that is the thing that I'm totally sure of I can do uh, working as a journalist for, for these years. I know that I can, I'm good at meeting people and have them, t- let them talk about what what's the passion or the work they're doing. And also I do the research because, yeah, because I find it fascinating. That is one thing. But also because I want to blur the line between fact and fiction. I want to blur the line. So so people who are in business, who, for, for example, are forensic scientists or police uh, uh, investigators or t- detectives, if they right away can see that I'm sloppy about my research, then the whole story drops. I mean, it. I, I don't want to get caught in saying, oh, if she don't know that or that will never happen or that is not reliable, then everything else in the book is not good enough. But if you can convince people that you know your stuff, that you're good at your police work, that you know exactly how, my thing is that I want it to be if, if this happened in real life, I want the police to act the same way. So that's very much about cheating, <laughs> the cheating <laughs> the readers, because I want them to believe that everything that is in this story is real. And of course it's not, but, but the fact needs to be real. Right. So have you started planning or are you writing a new novel now? Yes, I'm actually writing on a new uh, Louise Rick novel and I'm so into it. And, what what happened when I when I was um, uh, almost uh, in the middle of of a harmless lie, I I realized that I want to bring Louise Rick back for good, but put her in a new position. I created a, in in Denmark there are twelve police districts covering the whole country, mm-hmm. and they uh, they have a, a kind of a nickname for for us. Uh, the one who have special skills, a special force, they call it uh, Police District 13. And in, 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 in the way we talk about it daily, it's just P13. And uh, now, actually, it's, it's, it looks like it's, it's, it will come for effect, but it's a special unit that can go and um, assist the police districts around the, the, uh, around whole, the, the Denmark, the whole country, as a special force. Investigation with special skills in uh, in homicide or in missing people or whatever it might be, and I put Louise Rick in charge of that fiction unit. That's great. Well, 
given your given your success as I detailed at the beginning of of the podcast, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? First of all, and I really feel that that is the most important advice I can give, write because you feel that it is fun. I mean, do it for your own sake to begin with. I cannot come up with anything more frustrating that people come in and ask me, how do I make a bestseller? How do I create a bestseller? <laughs> I want to make sure that all the hours that I spend writing is coming out in the best way. And then I always say, please do not do it. Not for my sake, but for yours, because that is that is the worst way to go into it. Do it because you have a story that makes you so curious that you want to know what's going on and want to know what is happening. And I I spend a lot of time, because I like it, um, creating these characters. I mean, when I start a new book, I write a fact sheet on, on the the characters that is in not just Louise Rick, but but all the other ones also. So I feel that I really know them because it makes it so much easier to write about the situations that I put them in because then I know how they will react. So for me, it's very fun. It's like it is like a puzzle to create characters and put skills from people you know or people you've <laughs> met, and you put a little from here and there into them. Because then you, when the story is going on in your head, then you know exactly what they will say and exactly how they will react. And it's just, for me, very, very much more fun. That's great. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? I have, uh, I'm not reading much when I am, um, uh, when, when I'm writing. So mm -hmm. it's not very much, but the, the latest, uh, Karen Slaughter published in, in Denmark, I'm a huge Karen Slaughter fan, uh, and her books—they uh, are more brutal than mine. <laughs> but she is such a great plotter. I mean, I feel that her plots and the story behind it, and and her research is so—it's so well done. So I always enjoy her books. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? They can find me on Instagram and on Twitter, and it's just at Sarah Bladel. Uh, I also have a, a Facebook profile, but it's it's mostly in Danish, so probably they will find it a little bit boring or weird. <laughs> so Instagram and Twitter would be the way to catch up with me, and I'll be very happy to answer questions and to connect. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Sarah Bladel, best-selling writer and author of the new novel, A Harmless Lie. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Sarah, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from an audiobook of an earlier Sarah Bladel novel, The Lost Woman, read by Christine Lacken. Available from Hachette Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. Louise had never visited her boss. When she hopped out of the taxi and walked toward his building, she realized that Reinhold must be able to see the apartment on Geffionsgade, where her father grew up. Reinhold opened the door of his fourth-floor apartment, wearing slippers and casual clothing. Something's happened. I'm sure of it, Louise gasped. You know him. 
Ike would never leave Charlie out on the street and just disappear, and he wouldn't just not show up for the concert. He'd been looking forward to it for several months. We have to initiate a search for him. Ragnar Reinhold led her into the living room. He picked up his wine glass from next to an open book on a table near the bay window. One of the windows offered a view of the tracks behind Osterport. Lanya Linya Key was probably visible from there in the daytime. Louise knew he had lived practically forever in this rented apartment, for which he paid very little. Ika is a grown man, and he hasn't been gone for 12 hours, he explained patiently. Can you just see how it would look to initiate a search for one of the search department's own people so soon? He offered Louise a glass of wine. She shook her head and began pacing anxiously around the room. Louise, please, sit down. He pointed at the sofa, and they both sat. It's wonderful you two have found each other, even though it's given me problems in the department, of course. Iga is a fine investigator and a good person. I've known him now for many years. Louise was aware of that, and now she felt embarrassed. Apparently, Reinhold believed she was there because she and Ika were having problems. This has nothing to do with our relationship. What's happened? Nothing has happened to him. His voice was measured, calm. Ika is able to take care of himself, but it's possible there are sides to him you don't know. Maybe he should have told you, but it looks like he hasn't. A chill ran through Louisa's body, and already she regretted turning down the wine. I know once in a while Ika hits bottom, and he needs help getting back up. She turned to Reinhold. You're the one who sent me to pick him up that time he was dead drunk and couldn't get to work. But nothing was wrong today. Everything was normal. We were in your office. You saw him. These sprees, he goes on. They often come without warning. He seemed to weigh his words as he took a sip of wine. That side of him can be difficult to deal with, but you'll have to accept it if you want to be a part of Ika Nodstrom's life. So you're thinking he left the office this morning to go get drunk? Then why did he take Charlie with him? He could easily have left the dog at the station. She shook her head, annoyed now that he didn't understand. I just came from South Harbor, she continued realizing it did no good to reproach Reinhold. She needed to convince him. He wasn't at his pub, Ula's place. Ula hadn't seen him. At least that's what she claimed. I really think you're wrong about this. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.